Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to everyone that's watching online and on Spectrum Cable. We're certainly glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, for those of you who have been to Haiti, the campus didn't always look like that, did it? I, I can tell you, I first went there 25 years ago and uh, didn't quite look the, the same as it does now. My main fear, though, uh, Chris and Cheryl, is that I help to do some of the wiring in that new uh, seminary. So if the lights go off, you know who to blame. Uh, that, that's there. But Charlie Wall said that I did a good job, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I know none of this matters, but, but Charlie kind of said, what you do is you, 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 you slice the wire, you do this, you cut it, you put the cap on, you put it back in, you put the plate on, and then he turns around and walks away, and I'm going, what, what did he say? You know, <laughs> I have no idea. So, uh, but we slowly uh, figured it out after about half the lights were in, so uh, that was good. Hey, we're going to be over in Acts chapter 1 today. Acts chapter 1, 6 through 11. I'm sure everybody here has probably heard or seen the Mission Impossible movies with Tom Cruise, but uh, since, uh, you know, uh, uh, some of you uh, might have been around back then, I know I was. Anybody remember there was actually a Mission Impossible TV show? Yeah, yeah. Uh, got, got a picture of it right there. That's the original Mission Impossible group. They all wore shirts and ties. Anybody know who the picture is over here on the far side? That's Led Yats. Dr. Spock from Star Trek. Uh, Leonard Nimoy was in that. Uh, if you know anything about Mission Impossible, they were an elite group given a special assignment that seemed to be impossible. It was also top secret, top secret to the uh, extent that they, nobody could know about it. And the cassette tape literally burned up. Got a picture of the cassette tape burning up right here. And I uh, can't wait till the next service when uh, uh, some of the teenagers are going, what's a cassette tape? What's... Well, well, you know, what was that thing burning up there? Well, I, I tell you that this morning because sometimes the church seems to be like the Mission Impossible group, an elite group of people on a special assignment from God to uh, take the Word of God to the entire world, and it may seem impossible, and sometimes the way we do or don't do it may seem like it's a secret, uh, but we're going to really be looking at what's it mean uh, to be a Christian, and today we're going to be talking about the fact that a Christian is to be a missionary. Now, what's a mission? A mission is a specific task that an individual or group has been given to carry out. A specific task an individual or a group has been given to carry out. And uh, so the church's mission, of course, we're going to be talking about that and what it is in just a second. So what's a missionary? A missionary is the people who have been assigned to carry out that particular task. Now, it may interest you to know that the word missionary is actually never used in the Bible. But the idea of missionary is seen throughout Scripture, and the concept of being called to a specific task is also seen throughout Scripture. We're going to be over in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. If you want to turn over to that, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. And the first thing we see is this. We often misunderstand who we are and what we need to be doing. As Christians, and our sermon series is, What is a Christian? As a Christian, we often misunderstand who we are and what we need to be doing. 
Now, when Acts chapter 1 picks up, uh, it picks up right where the Gospel of Luke ends. Uh, It's after the resurrection. Jesus is meeting his disciples on a hill in the Galilean area. And right before Jesus goes back into heaven, he has a discussion with his disciples. And look down to verse 6. In verse 6 it says, Then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now the question the disciples ask here in verse 6 is actually a very interesting one. And what the question shows is that the disciples still just don't quite get it. Okay, uh, even after three years, uh, after seeing Jesus die, after seeing Jesus rose from the grave, they still just don't quite get it. Because what the disciples had in mind the whole time, as soon as they started believing Jesus was the Messiah, is that Jesus is going to do everything the Old Testament said the Messiah is supposed to do. He's going to come in power and glory. He's going to take over the world. He's going to bring all the right, all the world, uh, make all the wrongs right again. Jesus is going to come and do all of those things. They kept expecting that. And then he goes and he dies on a cross, the thing they didn't expect to happen. But now he's risen from the grave. And now that he's risen from the grave, the question in verse 6 is basically this. Are you finally going to do what you were supposed to be doing all along? That's the basic question, showing they still don't get it. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We've been expecting you to do this from day one. When are you going to do it? Now, Jesus answers them like they still don't quite know what's going on. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father is set by his authority. What the disciples were looking for, anticipating, and asking is basically what we call the end of the world when Jesus is going to come again. But they hadn't quite formed that theology uh, yet, and uh, uh, they had not quite come to that realization through Scripture. And so they're, they're wanting Jesus to do something he's not quite ready to do at this point. It's not God's will at this time. It's not God's timing. They need to be doing something else. You know, as we look around in the world in general, there's often times that we just don't get it, uh, both in our faith and just in the world in general. Uh, got some examples here of just not getting it. Uh, when a sports team wins the championship and then you go and burn down your own city in celebration because your sports team has won the championship, uh, there was a meme that was put out today that said, uh, it's a bad time to be a parked car in Tennessee or Philadelphia right now. You know, it, it's just tough, you know, uh, the, the way that it is you know and so you celebrate by doing damage uh to things in your own city you know that's probably not just not quite getting it uh here's somebody getting ready for halloween that just doesn't quite get it uh you know giving your child nightmares for the rest of their life probably isn't the best way uh to celebrate halloween and uh then here's a a a church sign that i saw it says uh whoever stole our ac unit keep one it's going to be hot where you're going uh we (laughs) We could just change that to catalytic converter, uh, and, and that might be true in our parking lot, but just not quite getting it. The disciples just didn't quite get it, and sometimes we don't quite get it either. Uh, so if you're here and you don't have it figured out and you don't quite get it, you too could be a disciple. That's the encouraging thing for you to know. But when the church is self-righteous, when the church judges, when the church condemns people, when the church thinks the building is more important than people, when the church isn't helping and reaching and caring out and loving, uh, then we forget and miss the point of what we're here and what we're doing in the first place. 
saw an interesting story this week online. A, a young uh, driver, Amanda Riggin, was delivering packages, stopped by a house, and could tell the lady she was delivering the package to was upset. And uh, Amanda was behind. She had to hurry on. And so as she was walking, she asked the lady, are you okay? And the lady uh, said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm sorry. Uh, it's just that my husband passed away uh, this week, and, and I'm, I was just really upset because these packages were something that he had ordered. And uh, Amanda said, well, you know, I'm very sorry. Ran and jumped in her truck, took off, said 20 uh, stops down the line. Her conscience just kept working on her. What are you doing? Why didn't you stop? Why didn't you pray with that lady? Uh, she finally broke down in tears herself, took a break, drove back to the house, knocked on the door, asked the lady if she could have a prayer with her, and went in and prayed with her. And this is what Amanda said. I got so busy, I forgot who I am and what I was supposed to be doing as a child of God. Sometimes that's what we do. We just don't get it. Sometimes we forget who we are and what we were supposed to be doing. So that brings us to the question, who are we and what are we supposed to be doing? Well, that's what we see next in our scripture passage. And what we see is this. Our job is to be witnesses and tell people everywhere about Jesus. Our job is to be witnesses and tell people everywhere about Jesus. Acts 1.8 is one of the great mission verses of the entire uh, Bible. We've actually preached a whole sermon series uh, here on Acts 1.8. So let's look at Acts 1.8 now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what's interesting about this one sentence is that in this one sentence, Jesus tells his disciples what they were supposed to do, how they're supposed to do it, and where they're to do it. And so we're going to take each one of those and just briefly talk about all of them. What are they supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it? And where are we supposed to do it? So let's just take one at a time. First of all, what are we supposed to be doing? So look back at this verse again. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So what were we supposed to be doing according to that? We were supposed to be witnesses for Jesus. Now, what's a witness? Uh, have you ever watched uh, Judge Judy or People's Court? Judge Judy is famous for when somebody starts talking like, well, my cousin John said that he saw so-and-so do this. And Judge Judy goes, stop, stop. I could care less what somebody told you. What did you see yourself? That's all I care about. So Judge Judy just wants to know what you've seen, what's happened to you, what you can testify as an eyewitness. That's the only thing. Well, we're told we're supposed to be witnesses for Jesus. And a witness, then, is someone that tells something that has happened to them, what has God done in my life, or something that they've literally seen God do. That's what a witness is. Now, it's interesting that in the Greek, this word witness is actually the word uh, that that's, we use today, the English word for martyr. And uh, you think, well, why is the word martyr, what's that got to do with a witness? Well, it just came about because we Christians were supposed to be witnesses that when they were witnessing for him during this Roman era, so many of them were put to death and lost their life that the word witness literally became known as, you know, you're, you're dying for your faith. And that's where we got the current English word martyr from the word witness uh, because so many people died giving their life because of what they believed. 
So our job is to go out and tell people what has happened to us, what we've seen, what we know, how we've seen God work in our church, in our communities, in our lives, things that we have personally seen and experienced. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to make a great persuasive philosophical argument where somebody says, you know, every question I've ever had about God is now answered and I fall on my knees and I believe. All we're asked to do is to tell people what has happened to us. And people can't refute what's happened to you. They can say, hey, that's great. You know, I don't think it was from God, but whatever. Obviously, something's happened in your life and you feel good about it. You know, they, they might take that tact, but they can't dispute an eyewitness account. This is what God's done for me. This is how God's changed my life. This is what I've seen God doing in my church. This is how I've seen God work in my family. That can't be disputed. So the first thing is that we were supposed to be witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Now look at that again. The phrasing is also interesting. It doesn't say, you know, it might be nice if you were my witnesses. It might be a good idea if you, you were my witnesses. It says you will be. There's no waffling there. There's, there's no way out of it. You will be my witnesses. And so if we are not being witnesses in the world for what Jesus has done in our life, then we are not doing what we were supposed to be doing as a Christian, just telling people what's happened to us as those times come up in our everyday lives, and they will happen over and over again. So that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be witnesses. The second thing, though, is how are we to do it? How are we to do it? Now, I'm not talking about mission strategy here. I'm just talking about how are we supposed to do it, and the way we were supposed to do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We are being given a task that would seem impossible, and the task is to tell everyone across this world that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, that salvation is available for them, and that is a task that is too great for any individual or any church to ever fulfill. It is a mission impossible, or so it would seem. So how do we do it? We don't do it through a great plan, although we need good plans. We don't do it through hardworking, dedicated people, although we need hardworking, dedicated people. The only way it succeeds in the way God intends for it to succeed is when we go through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you go through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing out there in this world that is going to be strong enough to stand in your way. God will do miracles over and over and over again. I remember the very first time uh, that, that I was in Haiti, and uh, this was 25 years ago, and uh, I was in Owensboro, uh, and, and we had gone there. It rained uh, three straight days, washed the entire road out uh, that was going up to this little village in Blanquette where we were building uh, a church up there, and, and David Hetty, uh, who we were working with, uh, David told us, we're not going to finish the church. We're not even going to get back up there again. And then finally, the, it cleared up enough where we were able to get up the, the mountain. And we had basically two-thirds of a day to work. And we get up there, and we thought, well, we can't get this done. You know, we were really going slow. And it seemed like suddenly everything just came together. Things that were taking hours were suddenly taking minutes. Stuff started to be done. In the three days that it was raining, we, we built all the pews, and, and uh, we did all, all of that stuff and got everything ready. And so all that was ready to go. And in basically uh, less than a day, we had the entire church finished. 
And, and I've told you the story before about him when we had that first worship service that Sunday morning, just a day later, uh, that this lady comes down the aisle, gives her life to Christ. Everybody in the church is like going wild and waving their hands. We go, you know, what's going on? Well, right before that, the church had been meeting in a banana frond hut, and the local witch doctor had burned it down. And basically a month later, that church was standing. And the witch doctor's daughter had walked down the aisle and said, your God's power is greater than my father's power, and I want to worship that God, and had given her life to Christ. That was a miracle that we could not do. It is something that came from the Holy Spirit of God. Well, with that in mind, we happen to have uh, some great people from Haiti that are with us today. Uh, Chris and Cheryl Brumley, come on down, guys. Uh, I've known Chris and Cheryl for a couple of decades, and uh, that campus doesn't look like it used to look <laughs> uh, at all. Do you want both these mics or just one of them? Or? They, don't, uh, they said they didn't care. So come on up, guys. Tell us a little bit about about Haiti, first of all, in, in general, uh, maybe uh, just the uh, big overview, and then kind of what's going on today. Haiti is a country of between 11 and 12 million people on a very small piece of land. They say smaller than like Rhode Island or something like that. Um, it is part of Hispaniola. The Dominican public is two-thirds. Haiti is one-third. Dominican Republic is quite prosperous. It's one of the tourist area. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So um, there is obviously a lot of poverty, and um, there's no tourism there. And um, it is a difficult life for the Haitians that live there. How long were you, have you all been in Haiti? Uh, we've been there about 19 years. And uh, we're in the process of transition, so we are uh, we are relocating. We're not retiring. Once you're a missionary, you're a missionary for life. It doesn't matter where that location <laughs> Amen. happens to be. Amen. And so uh, we are moving back to the states after 20 years, and uh, we are working remotely. Uh, we thank God we live in a time when WhatsApp and uh, FaceTime and all those things make it possible for us to actually see them face to face and continue the ministry from that. Amen. Amen. Now, Haiti has never been a secure place. Uh, you know, uh, there's always challenges with, with security when you go in. But today's a little bit different. Kind of, kind of share what's going on right now. Uh, Haiti's a mess. We'll just make it short and sweet. Um, you won't see much about it on the news here in the United States because, quite honestly, they don't want you to know what's going on close to our shores. Um, Haiti is currently in war. I don't know how to say it anyway. If you have seen pictures of Ukraine, you know what's kind of going on in Haiti. Not to the same extent. There aren't bombs. Uh, but right outside of our gates right now, Nikki tells me that there's about 10,000 shots going off a day. Um, and so uh, it's, a, it's a highly charged area. There are basically five gangs running the entire country right now. We do not have a president. We do not have a government. And uh, the gangs are vying for power to try and figure out who can come out on top. So currently, it's a very dangerous place to be. So uh, we would love to be able to take groups down there. That is still our hope in the future. But right now, God's got us on a wait and see basis. Yeah. Now, I know that in the past that when there's been uh, issues in Haiti and you've had unrest that 
the church has always been one of the stabilizing factors uh, that even in the midst of chaos has, has been a security. Uh, do you still see that today? Uh, uh, what's kind of happening in that area? Very much. Um, David and Judy established a church in Titian. It is a big church for Haiti, has about a thousand members, and that is where we have um, worship for years and years. Um, right now, two villages right next to us, the gangs have came in um, two weekends ago, took over, and they all are now refugees, and they're staying in the school right by the church. They're staying around the church, and our church is trying to feed three to 500 people, take care of them. They just fled with the clothes on their back, and ran up to Titian. We have wells there. David has drilled many wells, so we have um, clean water. Cholera has resurfaced in Haiti because of the gangs and shutting down the roads. There's no fuel, there's no food, and cholera is becoming a real issue. So the fact that we have wells and clean water in Titian and some security around the church um, has been wonderful. Right now, the church, every morning and every evening, they are meeting for prayer. Nobody can go to work. The schools can't function. Our schools are not functioning at the moment, but they meet every morning, 7 to 9, every evening, 5 to 7, and they're praying fervently that Jesus will intercede and bring calm and peace to the nation. Amen. Amen. So sometimes you look at Haiti and you think, it's never going to change. There's never going to be anything big picture that can be done. But I think anybody that's been there has seen that there can be life change that takes place. Uh, what are your hopes and dreams as you think of Haiti at this time? Yeah, it is just what you mentioned there. Um, a lot of people ask us, uh, why still be involved in Haiti? It's a pit. It's going downhill. Why not just walk away? Let's just let it go. Um, that is never God's plan. Um, the pit that he was talking about there in Acts chapter 1 was exactly that same kind of situation. God's instructions at times of difficulty are never walk away. They are buckle down. Do what I've instructed you to do. Be my witnesses across the world. Changing people's lives one heart at a time is the only way that things will ever change. Haiti is a good example of a country where we have pumped billions of dollars into this country over a period of a couple of decades. And it's worse off now than it has ever been. So what's the solution for Haiti? Well, it's the same as any place in the world. The solution is one person at a time. Why did we put together a seminary? Because I believe with all my heart, our instructions are to get the witnesses out there so that people will hear the gospel because that's what transforms and changes people's lives. If you've ever met a Haitian Christian, you're going to want one for a neighbor when you get to heaven. Amen. Amen. They are powerful people, and because they have lived through so much, their faith is stronger than what you and I can possibly understand. So it is a joy to get to continue to serve in violent times because you have that understanding and that knowledge that these people have the opportunity to change a nation one person at a time. Amen. Well, as a church, we've taken, I believe, uh, 15 mission trips to Haiti. Uh, I've been, I think, on five here and one back in Owensboro uh, that was there. Uh, as, as you, uh, I've actually taught a class at the seminary. It was a one week, yeah. So uh, it was at, that's at, it was at the church, you know, uh, there was meeting there. Uh, just uh, anything to, to close up that you'd like to share? Uh, we'd just like to take the opportunity to thank Westport. Road Baptist Church because you don't know it necessarily but you have had a major impact in the country of Haiti 
um, of all of the churches that we have worked with over the years, this church, I would say, is what we would call our A-team. <laughs> whenever we need help, whenever we've had a project that needs to be done, this is the church that steps up and does what needs to be done. So our purpose in being here this morning is simply this, just to say thank you very much. You have blessed us over our 20 years there, and uh, your people and your personnel have become best of friends. And uh, we look forward to this relationship for many years yet to come. And as we continue to be missionaries, we're going to serve together and do what Jesus continues to tell us to do. Amen. Well, let me have a prayer for you and Cheryl in this time. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much uh, for Chris and Cheryl for the life that they've dedicated uh, in Haiti. I just pray as they do this new uh, part of their journey that you would uh, direct them and bless them. And uh, Father, we know it's going to be just as fruitful in the days that are ahead. We pray for uh, the compound there in Haiti. Just uh, We pray for safety for that compound, that it would continue to be a witness to that community. Uh, we just pray that, uh, as, as uh, was shared, that, uh, that just one person at a time could be brought to you and that through that a great change could be made. Uh, we've talked about impossible things this morning, dear Lord, but nothing is impossible through the power of your spirit. And so we just pray uh, your power and your blessings now. And in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.